0: Well, it was super fun uh, this morning at 8.30 to watch uh, Maddie get baptized, and what a beautiful picture, as Angie said being a multi-generational church, and to see uh, a child uh, here that's grown up here at Crossroads be able to articulate her faith in such a beautiful and uh, cute way. Um, Yeah, if we could all be just so generous in sharing our sins uh, and giving examples of what we've done in our lives, but uh, if you are a follower here of Jesus and uh, you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you uh, to consider it. Uh, Here at at Crossroads, we consider baptism really to be an outward expression of an inward reality that's happening in our lives, and so. So if you haven't been baptized in that, if you haven't professed your faith publicly yet, uh, we would encourage you to do that. You can simply text the word NEXT to the number on the screen that Angie mentioned earlier, and you would be able to uh, go down the process of getting baptized, having a video shot, and uh, doing that in front of all of us so that we could celebrate together. And so uh, before we dive into God's word today, can we just pray for Maddie, her family, and uh, the life that Jesus gives to us? Father, uh, we're so grateful. Uh, Lord, just to be able to participate in the opportunity of of baptism, to watch sweet Maddie, uh, Lord, be baptized today. Lord, the purity of her faith, and Lord, I'm just reminded of Jesus' words that, uh, Lord, that we come to you in childlike faith, Lord. And uh, Lord, may we have the tenderness of our Savior, uh, Lord, who did not push away, Uh, you did not push away children, but you gathered them in. And uh, in just watching her testimony today, Lord, we know that you are gathering children all over Crossroads and we're thankful for that. God, I pray for those in the room today, Lord, who maybe have not yet been baptized, who are believers in you. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to them about publicly declaring their faith uh, to this body for our encouragement. And Lord, today as we open your word, Father, and we talk about the subject of forgiveness, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, well when I started kind of ministry almost 20 years ago or so, I did so at Youth for Christ uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. Now if you're not familiar with Youth for Christ, it's an organization that really deals with youth in middle schools, high schools, inner city, and also uh, in jails. In fact, uh, part of our world mission offering this year is in partnership with Youth for Christ where we're coming alongside them and providing money for them to be able to buy Christmas gifts for uh, those who have been incarcerated in Adams 12 school district. And so If you give to World Missions Offering, part of that money is going towards uh, that endeavor. Now, when I was in Omaha, the Youth for Christ in Omaha, that chapter had a high school, middle school, and kind of inner city uh, components to the ministry that they had going on. And I was going to work mainly in the middle school ministry, but uh, in all of that as well was kind of this bigger, broader picture of what Youth for Christ was. And so my first week of training, I got to go out and to see all the things that Youth for Christ was about, including the inner city ministry. Now, as... uh, we talk about this, one of the things that might surprise you is that when I was in Omaha in the early 2000s, kind of the northeast part of Omaha was the third uh, most 911 call rate per capita in the U.S., that it was a pretty rough part of town, and we had this guy named Rod who did the inner city ministry up there, and so one day during my training, I got to go hang out with him and see all the things that he was doing, and during that training day, he actually took me to the hospital and introduced me to a young guy that was my age, 19 years old at the time. And uh, I got to sit with him. Now, uh, the reason that uh, Rod was a part of this guy's life and went and visited him in the hospital is because this guy was from New York, and he didn't have any family, he didn't have any friends, he didn't have any connections when he got to the hospital, and so, because he had this pretty rough background, they called Rod to see if he would come in and help. And so Rod comes in, and him and I come in, and we begin to hear his story. Rod already knew it, but I got to hear his story. And the story was is that he grew up in New York, and at age 13 years old, he entered into gang life. And his uh, way into the gang his initiation into the gang is that he had to pull off a hit He had to murder someone and he did at 13 years old And because of this vicious skill set that he had he had actually risen through the ranks of the gangs And eventually became the number one hitman for the gang literally traveling all over the world Pulling off hits and executions for this gang And the way that he ended up in the hospital in Omaha Is that he was in Omaha to pull off another hit And while there his body completely started to fail him And so one of the gang members loaded him up in the car literally just dropped him off at the doorstep of the emergency room and left. And as he went into the emergency room, he found out that he only had weeks to live, that at 19 years old, he was dying from cirrhosis of the liver. He told me on the day that I met him that every time he closed his eyes, that he would see his victims and their families just like a movie reel playing in his mind and that the only way that he could find peace, the only way that he could get to sleep at night was to find a bottle of hard liquor and to drink it until he passed out. And as I listened to his story that evening and as we talked, one of the things that he shared with me, he said, you know, people tell me, like Rod, tell me that God can forgive me, but I just gotta tell you, Matt, I don't know if I could ever forgive myself for the things that I've done. We're in week two of a series that we're we're calling Canceled where we're looking at forgiveness and the role that it plays in our lives. And the reality is is that your story might not be as dramatic as this guy's, but we can all relate, can't we? That we've all echoed those words words in our life that, that how can I forgive myself? That we all have these moments in our life that we look back on with regret and shame and guilt and we look at our lives and we say to ourselves, how is it that I can forgive myself for the things that I've done? And while your story might not include hits of traveling around the U.S. executing people, your story might look a little bit different. Your story might look like this, that, that you would say something like, like, you know, after another 70 hour of work week, where you've neglected your spouse and your kids, that as you pull into the driveway and you think through another lost week in your life, in your kid's life, you sit in the driveway and you say to yourself, how, how is it that I can forgive myself? Or maybe for you, it's, it's the endless need for more. And so you go out and you spend money that you don't have, and when the bill comes and you're looking at the bill and you figure out what you've done, you ask yourself, how can I forgive myself for this? Or maybe for you, it was Thanksgiving just a couple of weeks ago, right? Just last week, Thanksgiving, and you had that second or third piece of pie knowing full well that your next heart attack will probably be your last. And as you laid in bed that night, thinking about your relationship with food and the negativity of it in your life, you looked at yourself and you said, how is it that I can forgive myself for what I keep doing. Or maybe for you it's the neglect that you've had for your grown kids. Or maybe you're in, a, in, a, in an affair that you know will just crush your spouse. Or maybe it's as simple as the harsh words that you spoke today in your rush to get to church. That we all have these moments in our life where we look at the actions and we ask the question, how is it that I can forgive myself for what I've done? And the reality is is that we've all done something that we're not proud of, haven't we? And when I met that hitman in the hospital that day when I was 19 years old, he spoke so clearly of something that we all experience, that feeling of a heavy soul. Some of us call it a conscience, other Jiminy Crickets, some say the imagio Dei, but in truth, it's the emotions of guilt and shame. It's the feeling that arises in us when we know that we've done something wrong or stupid, whether we call that a mistake, a sin, whatever, that when it comes to this emotion of shame and guilt, most of us, as we express it, would say it somewhat like this, that I just don't know if I can ever forgive myself. What I've done makes my soul feel so heavy it's like I just carry around this weight all the time and the truth of the matter is is that when it comes to guilt and shame we experience it as a burden to be carried in our lives and this mysterious weight that we have this this heaviness of the soul is this mysterious weight that we carry around and the heaviness comes for us or on us when we're kids do you remember maybe the first time maybe it was the first time you told your mom a lie or that first time that you cheated on a test for school, or maybe the time that you, you know, punched your brother because he was kicking your butt in Call of Duty, whatever it is, right, that we feel that weight for the first time. But honestly, as a child, it doesn't feel that heavy because really, what, what real bad have we done at this point? But when you become an adult, the weight on your soul, it, it becomes heavier, doesn't it? And maybe for you, there's entire, entire years of your life that you go, wish you could go back and redo, entire years of your life that you're simply embarrassed by, that you hope no one ever finds out about. You know, that time in college when you, when you threw all of your moral compass to the winds, or that, that first marriage that ended in a train wreck, or that time that you skimmed some money, or that bookkeeping thing with your boss, the heaviness of your soul isn't just like this church thing, it's a life thing. And what we do in our lives, those stupid things that we do in our lives, those things that, we, that form regret and guilt and shame, they haunt us, don't they? It never goes away. It's like it's always there. And so we try all kinds of things, don't we, to, to try to move on from it. And for most of us, we just try to pretend that it doesn't happen, like we just try to push it in the back recesses of our mind and pretend that it didn't happen. But then there's that name or that event, and all of a sudden, it all comes rushing back, doesn't it? It's Or you're driving down the street and and all of a sudden there it is, it comes back or your your family's planning a vacation and and they mention a a certain island in the Caribbean and there it is, it all comes back. That old feeling of, of heaviness again, that weight on your soul. And for some of us we try to drink it away, others to medicate it, some try to give money in order to make it go away and we chalk it up to our naivety or our youth or whatever. And we try to couch it in terms of that's just the way that I am. But if you were honest, it's not the way that you wish you were. And at the same point, at the same point, many of us say that I'll just never be able to forgive myself. I mean, what can I do to remove this weight? What can I do to find freedom? What can I do to rid this from myself? And what makes it so hard, in part, the reason it's so painful is because you expect better from yourself, don't you? Like there's opportunities out there, opportunities for you to do something, to be something, to to engage in something that's bigger. And you look at your life and it's like, I just threw it all away. See, the bottom line is that you're disappointed in, in you. That I should have been a better father. I should have been a better husband. I should have been a better mom. I should have been a better wife. I should have been a better friend. I shouldn't have said those words. I shouldn't have gone to that website if I had only fill in your blank. I owed it to myself to be better. And we kick ourselves time and time again for for throwing away the opportunities that have been given to us. And we look out and we go, how do I get rid of this weight? And isn't this true? I mean, it seems like the longer The longer that that this feeling harbors, these feelings of guilt and shame harbor in our lives, the more it affects everything. Not like every minute of every day, but it's always there lurking in the shadows, right there in the darkness, affecting the people that you care about. And so today, I know that as you showed up, maybe saw the title of us talking about how to forgive ourselves, that you showed up today. And today, I know what you're not looking for is just a simple and trite answer. I mean, everyone here, whether you're adults, whether you're teenagers, like, this is a big deal. Regret and shame is a big part of our lives, and we're not looking for just something trite. We're asking questions like, how can I find freedom? How can I find that freedom? How can I forgive myself for the moments that I've messed up? How can I unload the weights? And fortunately for us, fortunately, the Bible actually does have an answer. But let me warn you up front, the answer is neither easy easy nor convenience, that the answer is actually hard and takes a bit of courage to actually walk down the path, but there is an answer. If you've been around the Bible, then you know that one of the characters in the scripture is a guy named Paul, and we know Paul is this great missionary who, who literally planted churches all over the world, but that's not how Paul's life started. In fact, Paul started under a different name. Anybody remember? Yeah, Saul, that he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was not this great missionary, this great Christian. He was known as the great Christian murderer. And that he was the hitman for the Pharisees. And that he had one task in this world. And that was to eradicate Christianity, to eradicate the Christian church. And he almost did it. Until he came face to face with the risen Savior Jesus. And as we look at Paul's life, if there was anyone, I mean anyone, who felt the weight of his guilt and his shame, anyone who would look back on his life and and the pain and the blood on his hands, if there was anyone who would ever echo the words, how can I forgive myself for the things that I've done, it would certainly be Saul of Tarsus. And yet when we open the scriptures and we begin to read the story of Paul, we don't see someone living in guilt and shame. We see someone walking in freedom and forgiveness. And whether you're a Christian here or not today, come on, Whatever he found, it would be worth investigating, wouldn't it? Because whatever he found changed his life completely. Well, after he met Jesus, sometime after that experience with Jesus, he sits down and he's writing this letter to the church in Colossia, a pretty brand new church, and he's writing to this church and he says these words in Second Colossians verse 2. He says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. These words are so important when it comes to the topic of how do we forgive ourselves. That whether you're a Christian or not, these words are so huge. See, Paul looks at you and me and he says, as he looks at us, he says, that the reason that you feel guilt is because you have a debt, that you have a weight on your soul. And that thing that's causing you distress, the Bible calls sin or trespasses, misdeeds, that distress, that thing that's causing you distress has created a debt. And here's your problem. Your soul can't make the payments. That you can't make the payments on the debt that you owe. And the reason that you carry this weight around, the reason that you wonder if you'd ever be able to move past this in your life, is because the weight really does exist. The debt is real. And the weight that you have in your shoulders, or in your soul, the weight that you carry in your soul, is not just simply because you owe yourself, wishing that you hadn't made a different decision, a better decision, but also the reality that you owe God. That your sins in this world, your misdeeds, your transgressions, are not just simply in this world. They're not just simply aimed at another person. They're also aimed at God. So not only do you owe yourself, but you also owe God. That's the nature of guilt and shame. It's why you feel the weight. But Paul says, look, there's there's good news That God, right here in 13, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, which we go, Paul, well, what does that mean? So he clarifies in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. Paul says you have a debt, that your misdeeds have created a debt, and yet through Jesus, they can be forgiven. That through Jesus, your debts can be canceled. That Jesus has the ability to totally take that weight and to remove it from your soul. That he can pick it up and carry it off. That he took the heaviness of people's souls caused by their sins and he nailed it to the cross. He nailed your sins, he nailed my sins to the cross. And so Paul looks at us eye to eye, and he says, there is nothing that you will ever be able to do to cancel the debt in your life. This is why the cross is so important. There is nothing that you can do to make the payments on your debts. And you know this. Like you and I, we've tried. We've tried everything that we know to rid ourselves of the debt and nothing that you've done, nothing that I do relieves the burden. And maybe that's why you're here today. Because every single one of us knows that when it comes to religion and and faith systems, every single one, every single religion, every single faith system offers a solution to this dilemma. And you can spend the rest of your life like going down the road of trying to pay the debt off by yourself, that's your business if you wanna go down that road. And you can spend your life looking at all the different religions in the world and all the different faith systems to solve this dilemma in your life. Like, Like there are plenty of options, but let me tell you, there is only one person who ever lived in this world who said, I am the solution. Not just that I have a solution, but I am the solution. And it's not a system, it's not a religion, it's not an answer, it's Jesus himself. See, what your best effort could not do, what all your great self-discipline could not do, what your drinking and self-medicating could not do, Jesus did for you. Jesus looks at you and says, I can do it for you. For those of us who have been reconciled with God through Jesus, Jesus says, when I died for your sin, your debts were canceled. That you don't have to forgive yourself anymore because I've already forgiven it for you. I can do it for you. And the question today is, do you believe that? Like, do you you believe that today? I mean, I have people come all the time to me wondering how to rid themselves of the weight of their soul. They come to me searching for freedom, and I sit down and I explain all of this to them, and they'll look at me and they'll say, I know that God has forgiven me. Like, I get that part, but I, I just can't forgive myself. Like, I can't forgive myself. And when they're saying that, what they're really saying is this, is that, is that I'm the judge. And I'll defense, or I'll dispense the the forgiveness as I decide. And I've convened the court and rendered a guilty verdict upon myself and now I must grant the needed pardon. I mean, that's really what they're saying. That's what you're saying when you say, I can't forgive myself. I know that God has, but I can't forgive myself. You're putting yourself in the place of the judge. And if you were sitting in my office, what I would be thinking is, look, your sin got you into this mess. What in you believes that you're gonna be a good judge to get yourself out of? But I don't say that because I'm a pastor. And so here's what I actually say. I look at you and I would say, I think you have a heart problem. I think you have a heart problem. Because what flows from your heart is what you really believe. And do you really believe that God is who he says he is? Do you really believe that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for you? Because it all hinges on that. If you don't get that, you're not going to find freedom. You're not going to find forgiveness. You're not going to find a way to rid yourself of this weight. You won't find what Paul found, and you will be left feeling the weight, and you will be no different than when you walk through those doors today. See, for most of you, I imagine you go, man, like, Matt, I get all this. Man, I get all this. I, I understand this and, and I believe this. I mean, and and I don't feel I don't feel like it's changed anything. Like I still have this, this weight around my neck because I have these memories, these things that will never be forgotten. What do I do with them? And my answer to you is to confess them. See, the Bible says that we're to bring our sins into the light, to bring it out of the shadows, to bring it out of the darkness and into the light. And I know what you're thinking, you're going, Matt, didn't we already do that? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about? Nailing it to the cross, covered by the blood of Jesus? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about? And I would say yes, that it is true that you are no longer guilty of your sin, that if you are in Jesus, you are no longer guilty of your sin, that God has forgiven you. But the Bible takes it a step further not in terms of being forgiven, but in terms of removing the weight of guilt in your life. That James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words in James five sixteen. He said this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So I just want to practice that verse, all right? So go ahead and think of your deepest, darkest sin. All right, now turn to your neighbor and just share it. Ready, go. We laugh because we go, it's so ludicrous. And as Christians, confession like this is so foreign to us, isn't it? James says, look, you need to confess your sins to each other. And look at the rest of the verse. Confess your sins to one another. Find someone who's trusted and pray with that person so that you may be healed. And we go, healed? James goes, yeah, healed. And so we go, okay, James, let me get this straight. That if I feel a weight on my inside, the way to take care of that is to confess it on the outside. And as I'm confessing it on the outside, I'll be healed on the inside. Is that it? And James goes, you got it. And we go, what else you got? Because that's hard. That's difficult. And the reality is, is we don't really understand the goal of confession. See, oftentimes when we think of confession, we think that confession is to get a clear conscience. That's what confession is. But the reality is, is that when it comes to confession, it's not to clear your conscience, that confession is about making it right with the person you sinned against. Confession's about making it right with the person that you sinned against, first God, and then the people in your life. And as we walk down this road, The reason that you still feel the guilt and shame in your life even though you're a believer in Jesus is because you're only working with half the equation. The goal of confession is a changed life. The goal of confession is to make it right with the people in your life. The goal of confession is for you to find freedom, and so if you're here today earnestly seeking freedom, here's what it looks like in three steps. Step number one, you need to repent, that if you've never gone down and asked for forgiveness from God before, this is where you need to start. That you need to confess your sins to God that this is, this is what I've done before you. It's what Chris talked about last week where we confess our actions and the, the motives of our hearts in our life. And it's not just like a one-time thing. Like this is an ongoing thing that the understanding of forgiveness in the Bible or repentance in the Bible is that as you're living your life, you go on repenting. It's a continuous action, it's a lifestyle. That you make yourself right before God by repenting. But again, that's only part of the equation. The other part is you find someone trusted in your life and you begin to share with them the weight that's hanging on your soul. That's the first step. And you do it in such a way that it's not general but it's specific. That you don't just come to them and go, man, I'm really struggling, I'm a sinner, I need to confess, I'm a sinner. You're not confessing a label you got to confess specifics that if you go to someone in your life and go, man, there's this weight in my soul. I need to confess that I'm a sinner to you. They'll say, well done. Welcome to the human reality. We all are sinners. It's got to be specific. And us Christians, come on, we are the worst at this. I mean, if you've ever been to a prayer meeting or anything like that, at some point during the prayer meeting, someone will raise their hand and go, hey, look, I have an unspoken prayer request that I need prayed for. Not all the time, most of the time, here's the translation. I have something going on in my life that's so embarrassing, I'm too embarrassed to share it, so could you just pray for me? You need to pray and share with someone trusting in your life the specifics. I yelled at my wife, I cheated on my taxes, I stole from my boss, I neglected my kids. And the reason the drive behind me in doing these things was resentment or hatred or bitterness or the desire to punish or the need to posture myself or the need to be right before others or just the simple sheer joy that I get in humiliating someone who's caused me pain. We don't really like to look at ourselves in the mirror that way, do we? And yet biblical repentance is looking at yourself in the mirror Seeing yourself the way that God sees your heart, the darkness of it, and confessing not only the actions, but also the motives behind it. And then step two is to receive. When we see Paul's life before Jesus, we see this religious zealot whose extremism caused many people to die, even more to be put in prison, and even more than that, to have a negative view of who God really is. When we open up the scriptures and see his life some 2,000 years later, we celebrate the great apostle Paul. But back then, it wasn't a celebration. It It was a fear of what he would do. And if anyone in the history of the world was unworthy of God's grace and mercy, unworthy of God's redemption, it would have been Saul of Tarsus, right? I mean, he killed people to shut down the church. If anybody was unworthy, it was Paul, and yet God offers him grace and mercy. It's so fascinating to me that when we open up the scriptures and begin to read the books of the Bible, particularly the letters that Paul wrote, that we always find in Paul's letter grace and mercy, that we see it so often as church people that it starts to like lose its meaning in our lives, but it never lost its impact for Paul. See, when it comes to mercy, mercy is not getting what I deserve. That's what mercy is, not getting what I deserve. What I deserve because of my sin, because of those debts, because of the weight, is death. Separation from God. That's what I deserve. But grace is getting what I do not deserve. That is God's love, that I'm a child of his, that my debt is paid off completely, That mercy is not getting what I deserve and grace is getting what I do not deserve. And listen, until you understand grace and mercy, you will never get Jesus. You will never get Jesus. You will never experience freedom. That grace and mercy are given to you like gifts to be received, like a Christmas present to open, and you have a chance today to open that gift of grace and mercy, or you can be like Clark W. Griswold and put it in the attic to to collect dust. But it's your choice. Step three is to have courage. That you need courage because eventually God may, not always, but God may bring you to a place where you need to confess your sin to the person that you sinned, against and here's what will happen is that as you confess your sin most likely your outer world will enter into chaos and your inner worlds will start to be healed this is why I said the answer is not easy and it takes courage that you're going to need courage because as you clean up the outside world of your life you will begin to experience freedom on the inside It'll be a freedom from from your guilt in the future, where your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. that, That what you did in this life no longer defines you. That you're defined by God, that you are loved, that your sin was condemned on the cross with Jesus, that his blood poured out so that you would have life and have it abundantly. See, if you were God, and you loved you like he loves you, what would you say when it comes to this issue of guilt and shame? Would you say, hey, keep it in the dark. Let it fester in the shadows. Pretend that the weight doesn't exist. Do your best in life. No, no you wouldn't. You would look at you and you would go, you know what? You're already feeling the consequences of your sin. You're already dragging this weight around everywhere you go. It's already causing causing pain in your life. So have courage. Face the consequences. Be strong. Come to me for forgiveness. Receive my grace and mercy. And confess to those around you. Be healed and find freedom. If you're tired of carrying the weight of guilt and shame today, I just want to pray for you. And so we're just going to end in a word of prayer, if you would bow your head today. Father, Lord, we come to you. Uh, knowing, Lord, that this subject is so difficult for so many. Lord, that we have in our lives um, done things that we're not proud of, things that have brought upon remorse and guilt and shame. And yet, Lord, the good news of your scripture, the good news of your Son coming on Christmas is that eventually he grows to be a man who dies on the cross so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins where he cancels the debt on our lives. And so Lord, uh, Father, I just pray that we would be able to receive that this Christmas season. Lord, that we would be able to receive your grace and your mercy and for those of us who have walked with you, God, that you would give us the courage to not just bank on half the equation that you've given to us, certainly to confess our sins before you so that you can forgive us is something that you call us to a lifestyle about. But Lord, to go on and to continue to find someone in our lives that we can confess and that we can trust, that won't look at us in judgment, but that will look us with empathy and, and pray with us. And in that, Lord, I pray that we begin to find healing. Father, I pray for those here this morning, Lord, watching online, listening to this in a podcast who, who do not know you. God, I pray that they would take the first step of seeking forgiveness of their sins from you. That they would look at you today and say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe what you did on the cross, taking my sins and nailing them to the cross, lending to me forgiveness and the canceling of my debt. Today, I cry out to you as my Savior and my Lord. Father, I pray that every ear that hears, Lord, would be able to remove the weights in their soul and find the freedom that you offer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're here today and you want to take a next step, making Jesus your Savior, you can simply text Jesus to our text line number, 720 513 and we'd love to have that conversation with you, that we gather together around communion that our guilt and our shame were nailed to the cross because Christ's body was broken for us. That his blood was poured out so that we would have life and not just any life, but life abundantly. And so today we remember by eating together and remembering his body broken for us. And remembering the blood that was poured out by celebrating the cup together. As we remember Christ's death, his sacrifice, ultimately the resurrection and the freedom that he gives, we're going to create some space to sing. First of the freedom that we have from our guilt and our shame, and then into Christmas songs celebrating the reason that we have that freedom in Jesus coming as a child into this world. At any moment during our time, if you need someone to pray with, if you need some healing in your soul, We have people who are trusted, who would love to pray for you. They'll be right under the banner. Online, you can click the button. In house, I'm gonna ask you to stand as we sing and worship our Savior together.